You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna. And this is Inverse. Thank you, Marlena, for joining us, and we are really glad that you could uh, just be in conversation with us right now. I'm so honored to be with you, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, thank you. Well, we want to first um, just start by um, you sharing, uh, do you have a passage that you identified um, in terms of uh, its power to potentially just turn this world upside down? And if yeah, you can, I, can you read that for us? Sure. I, um, I'm going to choose the passage. It's the main framework for my new book, The Way Up is Down, Finding Yourself by Forgetting Yourself. And it's Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 16. And it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may come, become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. What a passage. Well, uh, we love to explore um, somebody's theology through their own biography. We'd love to hear, um, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? Uh, what are the memories? What, what are the, the stories that uh, flood back for you as you think about um, how the scriptures were first experienced by you? I love this question because uh, it allows me to think of my abuelita, um, mm. Port, we're Puerto Rican descent. Uh, I was born in Puerto Rico, but um, biracial, but my family, I grew up in a speaking Spanish in my household. So the Spanish culture is my main influence. But um, so you know, like a lot of times Hispanic, Spanish culture, Latinos, we are communal people. And mm. so, for example, um, 
my grandparents either lived with us or near us most of my life, uh, unless they were living uh, with or by uh, my uncle, my mom's brother um, in Florida or New York City or somewhere. Uh, but they spent time with our family and, and we took care of um, our grandparents even to death. But uh, I remember it probably was, um, I know it was second, third and fourth grade for me. Uh, my abuelita and abuelo were living across the street at this time um, uh, in a trailer across the street from our house. And I'm not gonna necessarily go into this, but I grew up very poor for American society. And, uh, but I, I liked being in their house because um, I think it's just my personality. I don't know if I'm more monastic, uh, have a monastic bent because I just hated the TV in the background. It was like a nail scratching on a chalkboard to me. And we, uh, my dad wanted to live where he grew up and that's the Northern tip of Appalachia in uh, the state of Pennsylvania in the United States uh, where there's a lot of po poverty and no industry and um, rural area. And so we were like the only Puerto Ricans around and, uh, but, uh, and we lived in the school district that had the biggest geographical area, meaning back when there was long distance, all my friends were long distance from me because I lived closest to the edge of the school district and had to, I think there, it was like 17 miles away. I don't know how far away the school was. But um, so I couldn't really call people on the phone before cell phones, you know, I, that's when I grew up before <laughs> cell phones and uh, computers and whatever. Um, and so I grew up in a beautiful outside in nature. I would help my dad cut wood to um, earn money so that he had gas to get to work or so that he had money for groceries. I was always outside. And when I, uh, I, but I would go sleep at Abuela and Abuelito's house and every day, every morning, I don't know if it was nine or 10 in the morning when I woke up, I wanted to stay in their house and not my parents' house because they had like the TV going all day, probably because of isolation, like the Telemundo Spanish novelas. I, I wasn't interested in watching them. And so I just wanted peace, quiet, nothing. I just wanted, you know, I didn't want any chaos, no television, nothing. I just want quiet. And that was at Abuelita's house. I mean, she had the TV, but there was a lot more quiet there with her and abuelito. And so I would wake up or see her reading her Bible, trying to, uh, in Spanish, the Good News Bible with the little drawings. I think it's a Roman Catholic Bible. Uh -huh. And uh, she would try, I saw her pronouncing with her mouth the words in scripture. And she only had a third grade education because uh, I think she had 11 brothers and sisters and her mom died when she was in third grade in childbirth. So she only went to third grade and had a third grade education because then she had to go work and help the family, you know, make money to so that they could eat. Um, she, she was an entrepreneur with Abuelito. They had a food truck and stuff, but she only had a third grade ed education. So I could even tell in Spanish it was hard for her to sound out the scriptures, but she was faithful. Mm -hmm. And I loved her so much. And I, you know, I'm not the only one that we love our, our grandmothers in Spanish culture. I don't know something about Abuelitas, our grandmothers. And so, you know, it can be grandfathers too, are very special to us. Um, and so I thought if Abuelita can do that, and it's so important to her, maybe I should, I just learned by watching. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. um, then some years later, she went to go live in Florida with my uncle Lenny and Abuelito. And so I was in a, uh, I remember just, you know, first started out a trailer and then moving back into our house because we did some moving around. But I, sometimes would read the Bible for two to four hours a day 
from the age of uh, 10 to 14 because I didn't want to watch TV when I was done doing the wood or the chores, whatever I had to. And um, I didn't want to watch stuff on cable. I mean, I'd listen to music sometimes, but we actually now I actually never thought about this. I mean, we only had so many books and the by uh, my uncle Craig got me a Bible. That was part of it too. And so I would read the Bible and I always thought to myself, if God could do that for people, you know, crossing the Red Sea, if he could do stuff for people in the Psalms or what all the stories throughout the scripture, I actually read the Old Testament a lot, then he could do it for me. And so now I have language to identify how I was formed. Uh, Richard Hayes at Duke said, you know, talks about and people talk about a scriptural imagination. Now I think I was really formed by scripture, primarily growing up the images, the thoughts you know, I think about the Lord day and night and how he relates to me and to the world. And um, so that's my, uh, I would say to answer your question, that's my first uh, um, experience with scripture. Now I did walk to a country church. I was baptized Roman Catholic and christened Roman Catholic, but um, the church was too far away because of gas and stuff. So there was a church like a mile down the road, a country church that I'd walked to a Protestant church. And so um, it's, that was my first experience. Oh, that's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. So when you think about those experiences, I mean, it sounds like you're really engaging this text, even significantly, even alone, right? Um, with these texts, I'm curious, like, how are you, I mean, you're reading through the Old Testament. Um, are you experiencing these texts as, oppressive as liberating as upholding the status quo i mean what's happening as you're encountering um scripture in these early years it was very liberating for me um because again uh, uh you know when you're like 10 or 11 you don't have language to explain forces you know mm -hmm. um outside yeah. of you uh right. you might experience something um let me uh i wasn't gonna say this but i think you'll see how it applies yeah. so um, you know, I thought about Jacob laying his head on the, the, you know, I think as Marilyn Langle said, and I picked up using a stone for a pillow and God speaking to him and he's made a pillar and called it Bethel. And I, I did what I think is Lexio Divina, but I didn't know, like I entered into, like, I could picture myself yeah. walking across the Red Sea. And one of the, the verses that are uh, one of the, I say images, it's, the images are rich for me. So, yeah. you know, when difficulty came or when I had obstacles, I always picture myself as with not necessarily Moses, but the people when they're about to cross the Red Sea, you have the sea, you know, behind you, depending where you're looking and Pharaoh in front of you and your back's right. up against the wall. And I think right. growing up in poverty and, you know, I had, I loved my parents so much, but they were trying to figure out their life. And there was a mental illness in my family, which had a lot of chaos. I think that's why I wanted silence and solitude so much too. So I could just breathe and be out in nature. And so I would enter into scripture and I could just see it like a movie playing in my mind. And I'm like, you know, when their back was in, against the wall, God delivered them. God yeah. delivered. I mean, I even think about it now. Like I, uh, and we could talk about this more maybe, but like our nation, we're like pharaohs to the Israelites mm -hmm. now. I mean, to me, that's the way I think about the way our government, well, not just mm -hmm. now, the way our government has treated people uh, right. since the inception of this country. But, um, and so that's the way I think about the world through the scriptural lens. But um, 
where it came really uh, stark for me was uh, when I was, uh, so we, I left Puerto Rico when I was about four or five, moved to California temporarily because my dad was in the military, then back to Pennsylvania, then back to Puerto Rico when I was in fourth grade. So I, you know, I went to school, I spoke all Spanish, I went to public school speaking Spanish. And one day, and then I went to school on the military base, but one day when I got off the bus in Puerto Rico, um, and I, I'm usually like bent to like want to help people. Um, mm. You know, a guy followed the school bus, he pulled up in his car and next to me and he summoned me over and he said, hey, I still remember he said in Spanish, me puedes ir donde está Palo Alto? Can you tell me where Palo Alto is? And I'm like, yeah, you need to go this way. And I had like a crowd of kids in front of me, my brothers and sisters, my brother and sister, my younger brother and sister and some kids that got off at our stop. And the man proceeded to pull my arm and tried to yank me in and exposed himself to me. Uh, and it was, and I think he would have kidnapped, you know, he wanted, he exposed himself and wanted me to touch him. Mm. And um, I mean, it was planned, premeditated. He knew when the bus stopped, you know, right. now looking right. back, I know this, right? I was like, I'm almost kidnapped and sexually assaulted as a little child. Cause that was a, an assault, just a visual assault mm. on my being. And this was, you know, in Puerto Rico, I told my mom and my, by that time, well, I was there too. And I said, Hey, you know, this happened to me. And I think they might've called the police. I don't remember what happened, but I mean, I can still picture the man's face to this day. I know what he looks like. Mm. Um, and I was so, um, I don't, jarred is not the word. I was so badly formed by that, that I was scared to go around men. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was not with us at that time. Um, uh, he was doing some other things. He was in Cuba, but um, so it was just, we were staying with our abuela. So when my dad, we went back to Pennsylvania in fifth grade, I didn't want to be around my dad. I didn't want to go into a grocery store. They're like, hey, can you go and run into the store and get me whatever milk? Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go into a grocery store where the men uh, a man was check a man was checking out uh, the at the register. I just didn't want to be around men because I was like really, I felt gross. Um, I felt violated, and you know, and for that time uh, we lived. Uh, my dad was out of the military then and trying to find work, and so we lived in a, a small trailer. I mentioned it, a little green trailer, and I would read my Bible, and the words of Jesus said. You know, if you want God to forgive you, then you need to forgive those, you know, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Mm -hmm. And I, and it really struck me that I had to forgive this man who's unnamed. I don't know his name, but whose face I'll never forget. It's uh, uh, burnt into my memory for assaulting me because as a 11 year old, I was reading that and interpreting it as the, what, what I think is the interpretation is like, if you want God to forgive you, you need to forgive others. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I, I and pray for those who persecute you or hurt you. So I, okay, I start, I, said, I don't know who this man is. God be with him, you know, as a child in the simplicity of a child trying to obey Jesus uh, because that's what he told me to do. And so uh, that's a way that I guess scripture has guided me and, you know, and I even talking about now, I still get like yucky feelings. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, you even call me to love my enemy, someone that, uh, you know, sexually assaulted, you know, and that's not the first time I've been sexually assaulted. Um, but my point is that 
I don't want anyone hearing this thinking, you know, that I'm going easy on abuse or whatever. That's not what I mean. I mean, it can take your whole lifetime and you're trying to forgive someone depending on the transgression. So I don't want to make any light of abuse, physical, sexual, or spiritual. I'm just saying as a child and how it was formed, that's how scripture informed me. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting that you um, talk because I was, I mean, even something like forgiveness, like I've heard, thinking about in the black community, like, people talk about forgiveness. Some people talk about it in a very liberating way and some mm -hmm. people see it as like oppression, right? Mm -hmm. um, some people are like, oh, it's just letting people, you know, being light on harm. Um, and others see the act literally as releasing and letting go and actually something healing for the person that's been victimized, right? And so, um, but so I'm curious, did, was there a way in which, did, did forgiveness, play out in any particular way or I don't know if you maybe can tap into how you remembering that experience but but did it have a liberating impact in your own life afterwards I, or yeah I think it didn't no I had no access to counselors or anything or money for that right because you're poor you got right. nothing you right. know the, right. the refrigerator was empty sometimes I've heard people say just right. bread and mayonnaise you know like right. um so I think it did because I can't you know I remember I'm like, okay, I have to obey the Lord, even though this feels weird. And I just literally took it literally, you know, forgive you. If you want God to forgive you, forgive your enemy. I think I was able eventually to be around, you know, men and not be worried or scared. I can't say how long after it was, but I do remember something lifting. Um, uh, I'm not gonna say it was in that instant, but I right. remember that it wasn't maybe a year or while I was able to let my dad hug me and, you know, not feel gross or then go to the store. Yeah. Healing takes time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Melina, I'm so aware that um, you vulnerably led us into so many realities. Uh, yeah. I mean, even just naming uh, being Puerto Rican and uh, uh, we're talking about very personal um, uh, violations and, uh, yeah, there, there's a place who's, that has, whose people has been violated repeatedly. Um, and uh, talking about the reality of pharaohs in America um, and uh, this very personal experience. And I was really struck by, uh, in fact, what came to mind was uh, my Sunday school experience of, uh, we used to sing a song, um, Didn't My Lord Deliver Daniel? Do you, do you know that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, uh, why not everyone? And uh, I, I heard, uh, I heard you saying, "Why not me?" And your experience of scripture being, "Why not me?" Uh, but to to pause for a moment um, in terms of uh, those passages, as Drew um, so beautifully named, uh, forgiveness can be something which is incredibly liberating for people, um, but is also being used um, to oppress people. And I, I so appreciate you bringing us into um, that part of your your personal story around um, liberation and oppression. Um, as you wrestle with text, and I, I'm I'm stunned um, by you saying, you know, the realities of nothing in the fridge, and yet uh, the, the therapy of practicing this um, with a sincerity that did mean a freedom. Um, uh, for you personally, um, if if you were to name the gifts, it's our conviction that people's personal stories have have gifts. Um, uh, they're 
their experiences, their contexts. Um, what gift out of uh, this tapestry that you're starting to weave together, um, uh, giving us insight into your own experience that uh, shapes your work, your new book? What particular gifts would you offer other people from um, the, these uh, multiple experiences of, of needing deliverance and um, uh, needing to find your own Bethels um, and uh, what it is to be able to name pharaohs and uh, um, ask of the scriptures, why not me as well? Yeah, and that, wow, such a good question. So I, maybe I'm fumbling, thinking about like how to answer it. But when, you know, it's, look, think of the question um, and maybe if you ask me in a year, I'll have something different to say. Hmm. But, you know, I used to say, God, why, like, why was I born in this family? Why was I born poor? At other times, why was I born a woman? Because, hmm. you know, it wasn't in my church that I heard this, but when I went to a Christian school, they're like, well, you, you can't use those kind of gifts, you know, just stay in your place and, you know, just stay in your place. Basically your mm -hmm. place is just to do whatever for your husband and, you know, raise children. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Um, but just kind of really, uh, you know, oppressive theologies that are rampant mm -hmm. and that women face all throughout the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. obviously. Um, and I think that the gift is, you know, when you, don't have anything you know you see everything else as a gift like you're like mm. i didn't have money to depend on i didn't have like uh you know always buying clothes for school was a burden when i went to college i'm like oh my gosh how am i going to pay for these books they're like hundreds of you know everything was so hard <laughs> yeah. uh financially and everything um so i think the gift is like like little things you see as gifts like little little things and that I think, and I write in my book about this because I kind of talk about not in these such words that I, and not with the story that I just shared, but um, that I had solidarity with Jesus because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I talk about this book, The Way Up is Down. Jesus could have been born to the most rich people in the highest status in society right. in, uh, you know, and he chose to become born to two paupers. And that's another thing that didn't hit me then, but hit me in the last like five, five to 10 years. Like, oh my word, you know, you, you gave up your rights as I read in Philippians chapter two, you, um, and again, I, when I say Jesus gave up his rights, I can hear people saying, but you know, so many of us never have rights. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying don't assert yourself. Don't ask for your civil rights. That's not what I'm talking about, but he didn't cling to the riches and everything he had. He gave him so that uh, up so that he could relate and so that everything was shown to be God's grace and God's power in his life. He couldn't say because, you know, because I come from a family with such and such a name, or I'm the CEO of this organization, or I'm King Herod. He couldn't use any of the earthly things that we use to prop up our identity to um, distract from the power of God. It was totally the power of God, the Father, uh, the Holy Spirit at work in his life. And so with me, I think the gift is seeing little things as gifts. And that I I relate better better to poor people. I guess in some way I still see myself as poor, but I'm not considered poor by any means. My my husband has a job, and you know I had a job. I'm on unemployment right now, but not going to be started school. But I um I guess I just see the 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 world. I think most of the time from the ground up, not from being 
in a high position. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah, totally. And I even hear in your story um, regarding how you approach scripture as a gift. That, mm -hmm. that um, uh, little Marlena um, ha having uh, some time after finishing chores to actually um, uh, explore those pages in such a way that uh, you use the imagery of a, a biblical imagination. Um, and I, I can really hear the, the gift of, um, you know, the, the, one of the gifts of those of us who have Catholic family um, or ourselves are Catholic is it is a, there's a, a different approach to faith um, that is imaginative, um, that is uh, often uh, very embodied. And um, I, I can really hear the gift of that as you navigate it around those pages. That's mm. beautiful. So you've shared all that. Can you, um, you've pretty much taken us right up to the door of this text. So can you walk <laughs> us through and let us dwell with you in this uh, passage and kind of show us what you're seeing in here from, from the word? Yeah, and, and I'll, uh, I'll take my brother's help <laughs> too, what you see too, because it's communal, right? Yeah, um, Well, you know, one thing I wanted to mention that I, you know, when you read something so good and I forgot to put this in my book, so I'm like, I'm going to use it today. <laughs> I haven't used it anywhere else because I found it. I'm like, oh, why didn't I use this? But it's a, a, a quote from St. Anthony the Great. He says, our life and our death is with our neighbor. If we gain our brother, we have gained God. But if we scandalize our brother, we have sinned against Christ. And mm -hmm. I think that embodies like this whole thing, you know, yeah. um, our life and death is with our neighbor. You know, Jesus said, uh, we love God and our neighbor. And I think that's what, why Jesus gave up his rights. So, um, you know, G the posture that Jesus took was of a servant. So in verse three, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Um, and so, you know, I'm always putting, I always feel like I have to have a caveat because people are going to be like, does that mean I shouldn't care about myself? Does that mean that I remain in abuse? No. I mean, I'm talking, I'm not talking about abusive situations. You know, I pray that people would get help and not, you know, let yourself be oppressed if you can help it, you know? Um, but, you know, especially when there's power differential, if I'm, a supervisor of someone or I'm a professor or you know God wants me to think of other people first to you know love him and love my neighbors so I'm always thinking you know what what is for the the good of my brother and sister within my ability to do it right I mean I only have a limited time limited space limited everything but what can I do in uh, my ability and so you know it seems like the at least here in the United States, like, I feel like one of the things I have to constantly say and been saying for like, at least a decade to, because, you know, I, you know, the Lord's blessed me to be able to write about these things. I was like, you know, do you have brown people, black people, you know, indigenous represented and not as a token in your Christian conferences? Um, I feel like people are always thinking of themselves uh, and I mean, it doesn't matter where you come from. You can think of yourself and you could, when you go up, I think this verse says you bring other people up with you. It's not, come on. yeah, right. We're not, 
you know, as I go up, if, you know, my books go out, my writing goes out, I want to lift new writers up, people of color up, other people that have been marginalized. And so I don't want to be greedy and hoard it all for myself. So there are mm -hmm. times where I'm like, you know what? I mean, I don't even like talking about myself, but I'm saying, you know, I give other people a chance. Maybe I could have taken it on my own. I'll, and so I, I kind you're of being, feel- You're being humble, but I'll just say for it, like I see you modeling that even on Twitter, right? Just well, you um, just modeling a way in which you um, shine the light on so many other people. I mean, that's how I think of you. Right. Um, oh, in fact, that's you, when, when your book came out, I was like, what would Marlena do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me do, let me do what nice I see you doing all the time and um, and give you an opportunity to kind of shine because you're constantly shining light on other people. Absolutely. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. But I think, too, I think the reason for that is because, first of all, I know what it's like to have nothing. Right. And the other thing is I don't want to live by the scarcity mentality. Yeah, and, and right. I'm not trying to be like so holy or nothing. I mean, I have my sins. Yeah. You read my book, I have my sins. Right. Uh, I don't mean that. But I, I think that like other people, I know what it's like not to have an opportunity. I want other people to have an opportunity. And so think of others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests or that of other, you know, but that of others. That's what Jesus did all the time. That's right. Um, and, uh, you know, he had his boundaries. He had to take time to go pray and to, to just, he had to say, you know, I can't do anymore. I'm done healing people today because it's too much we need to get away so i'm not saying don't have boundaries but um what would it look like if we were like that i mean we would have these right. racial i mean i'm just talking to the church i think mm -hmm. that's where i've been called primarily i mean i'll tell people hopefully with my life about christ i've worked with unbelievers but i really feel called to the um leaders and lay leaders in the church so that we're not in the bad situation we're in here in the united states with yeah. rate i mean if we look to the to the interests of our brothers and sisters. I mean, yeah. whether you're on the police force or, you know, even, I mean, <laughs> I mean, George Floyd was telling you he could not breathe and many others, Right. you know, I mean, a simple, if, if you're a Christian police officer, I mean, I don't know. There's probably Christian police officers that have killed people. Um, I don't know what people's faith are, but what I'm saying, that should not be like that, you know? Right. Um, and uh, I think a lot of our problems in the church, a lot of them is because we're selfish, self-centered, greedy, yes, racist, but that's because we're self-aggrandizing and, and, and we want things for ourselves and we don't want anyone else to have it. And that's in our American society. I can't speak for you, Jeremy. But um, so I'm just trying oh, the, to follow. The kingdom has come in its fullness in Australia. So none of this applies to us. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. So he did not cling to his rights. Now, so we have privileges for, uh, you know, our white brothers and sisters. You don't cling to your privileges. What does that look like? You have to work it out in the particularities of your life. Uh, when, um, you know, jump in anytime. I don't want to dominate this at all. But, you know, when, when the Apostle Paul, when he, he said, you know, I've been called. I saw Jesus. What did the apostles tell him? Remember the poor. So um, something that I, I struggle with personally, and I've been struggling, I feel lately, because I'm going to go into a PhD program starting here in the um, uh, August here in a, in a month. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. And can you thank remind you. me, I was telling Jared that you were entering a PhD program, but I couldn't remember what the specifics yeah. of the program was. Uh, American Culture Studies, uh, e yeah. and so I'm focusing on e evangelicals, immigration, race, and poverty. Uh, mm, so, 
Yeah, if I can, I might have to, you know, it might be too hard to do. But why do we in America have that particular posture towards racial postures and towards mm -hmm. immigrants and towards the yeah. poor? Mm -hmm. um, is it cultural or what, how much, you know, I have some yeah. answers in my head, but I need to research it. Yeah. Uh, and so I, but I get worried. I was just thinking today, I was a little bit like, I'm like, I don't want to lose touch with the poor. Cause I work with, you know, migrant workers, undocumented people on the ground. And I don't want to get so thinking yeah. ideology, ideologically that I yeah. don't relate to people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm scared about that. I mean, I will have yeah. to concentrate for several years, but I never want to get to the place where I forget my roots and forget people. And yeah. so I think that's a way. Um, if I we resonate. are, yeah. Oh, I yeah. resonate so deeply with that. I mean, I mm. knew, I mean, having already go to college, that's one thing. Then I do masters, right? That's not a thing. But then this Pete, I always tell people like, they're designed to, they're trying to form you into a kind of person. Right, like that's what mm -hmm. PhD programs want to do. They want to form you into a kind of person, um, and so like I was, I'm, I was so thankful to like be in a mindset where I was aware of that going in, um, so I could keep choosing to just not be completely. And it's not like I don't even think I can say like it didn't form me at all. Like how do you not? But 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 at least I could at least be conscious of this and be making other decisions in my life so that I don't get you know you can drink your own Kool-Aid and yeah. drink your own praise and, and you just lose sight of, you know, where you've come from and, and it happens a lot. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And so, I mean, I don't think Jesus did that either. You know, <laughs> talking about he didn't grasp equality with God, like he, his disciple, he was among the people and yeah, right. um, incarnation, that's, a, you know, the doctrine mm -hmm. of the incarnation. Right. And so how do I incarnate the life of God and, you know, now, I mean, being in America, I'm richer than most of the world. And even mm. in America now, I'm richer than most America. There's so many people in poverty. So how do I, um, what do I, that means that I don't necessarily get the clothes or car or the shoes. You know, the early church, and you 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 know, because you're studied, like uh, St. Basil and Chrysostom, I think it was mm. Basil, like, if you have a coat in your, in your yeah. closet or lots of shoes, yeah. and the Catholic uh, catechism says you are stealing from the poor. That's you right. know, from the poor. I yeah. quote in my yeah. new book. You are yeah. the oh, oh, I can't wait to read it. You are yeah. thieves. And I thieves. read that and I'm yeah. convicted. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um and and so my the way I talk about my book is I don't feel like the American church is taking this posture that Jesus took. Hmm. Um maybe they never did. I think some people are pockets are, and I'm not I'm speaking about more of uh, you know mainstream the white evangelical church. Yeah, yeah. mainstream sure. Christianity. Yeah. And so the reason why I wrote the book is like, what would it look like if we were to take that posture? Mm. And so that's what I, I'm giving some of the examples of, but I'm always convicted by it. And I, you know, I want to become more like Christ and it requires oh, a giving up my rights. Like maybe I could buy another, I don't know, another book. We like books, right? But should I use that money? Should I use that money? Now I'm feeling convicted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good at simplicity when it comes to everything other than books. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that that I think this posture is, and and also it's not always easy to give up your rights. Yeah, you know, and it's going to cost you something. What I hear you doing, and uh, again, uh, the, the gifts of your story, your context, your experience, is um, you named at the start that Puerto Rican society is much more collectivist um, in how you relate to family and how you think about uh, yourself in the world. Uh, this text that. Um, 
uh, Paul is writing from prison to a people who also have a collectivist imagination. And so um, talking about um, not thinking about yourself higher than others doesn't hit them in an individualized way where it's about, okay, so this is about me thinking about myself less, which is <laughs> if you're an individual, uh, individualist worldview, that's how you're going to hear it. Um, uh, but if you're in a collectivist worldview, the emphasis is on thinking about others more. Like it's a turning yourself outwards towards others, um, not a, like, um, uh, how do I be less selfish, which is still the focus on you. And I hear you lifting up this text because the, uh, the, the language in which we encounter rights, um, uh, it, it's, it's dangerous how, you know, where we listen from determines what we hear so often. And I, I can hear um, uh, you and, and your deep desire to situate yourself um, uh, amongst those who um, uh, are your people, um, that you don't want to forget the gift um, that you talked about. Um, and stay in that place where those gifts are still for others. And I love, uh, even in this conversation, how uh, you've drawn on North African saints from the fourth century that sh shaped uh, monasticism. You you've drawn on what is modern day Turkey now, but the Cappadocians and, and quoting like Basil. And uh, I, I hear even where you go to in terms of Catholic social teaching, um, you're, you're looking for resources to actually uh, uh, for this passage to be liberative, but I'm so aware that um, giving up of rights uh, for so many comes through a setting where the text is so individualised, where talk of rights is associated with, with human rights. And as um, Mother Teresa would say, um, uh, human rights is just naming human dignity. Um, and uh, this isn't asking, uh, and, and our Lord isn't modelling a giving up of dignity, uh, but a dignity that is found in self-emptying um, for others, um, not for... I, I would love to hear um, the danger of this passage uh, for people um, shaped by situations similar to yours uh, in the hands of people with PhDs who have forgotten where they've come from. <laughs> what are the dangers of reading um, Philippians 2? Uh, in, in ways that actually it gets weaponized against those who it, it's written to liberate. Yeah, um, I think I've learned and hopefully I'll, like Drew says, my brother, and you, you know, like, listen to the people on the ground. Like, yeah, I can't tell you, like, you know, if the, you know, I worked with migrant farm workers, you know, just as recently as February. Hmm. What I can't, I don't speak for migrant farm workers. I know about them. I could mm -hmm. probably, you know, and I have given a talk about it, but let them speak for themselves. Amen. You know, um, let them, um, let the people speak for themselves. And, um, you know, we can come alongside other people and, 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 and amplify them. Mm -hmm. But if I just start uh, saying, well, you know, all, brown people and all you know it's all very so complicated but i think it can be weaponized when we think we know what's right for people and we try to even sometimes force them to embrace things that we're discussing in the academy and i've heard people say we don't we don't use that language why, why are yeah. you guys you know and i'm not going to necessarily say what words i'm talking about but they're like we don't use those terminology for ourselves that's what you academics say but this is not the way we talk about the world. 
and to run over people because we think they're not liberated, you know, they're, they have a, I mean, bad mentality. I mean, we can't force, that's another type of oppression, forcing people to adopt our ways of being and doing. I mean, we might disagree. We might say, don't you see this is harming you? But it's how, like you said earlier, do we treat people with dignity? Do we treat people as if they are a gift and not like yeah. we're God's gift to humanity? Yeah, wow. That's very powerful. I was thinking um, that I remember my um, colleague, so Emerson Power, he's another black faculty in my department. And, um, and I forget who said, but someone in our department was talking about humility or something like that. And he was like, you know, He's like, white people talk a lot more about humility than we do. And it's because like, that's something that you guys are dealing with. We like have other issues in terms of like internalizing, like, you know, self-hate or self-worth or syndromes where you, you know, you don't feel like you belong in a space, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so there's ways in which um, thinking about how Jared talked about the individualistic way of thinking about this text, right? Then it would just imposing on someone, just don't be selfish, right? And stay humble. Um, to somebody that's that's not their problem is they need to be lifted up right yeah. um, yes. it means something different when we're talking about a community like how do we create a community where everybody has enough right well you need everyone to as you mentioned to not have a you can, no one can have a scarcity mindset you you, you won't build a, a flourishing community if everyone has a, a scarcity mindset right it takes everyone um, giving and receiving right and how do we do that if everyone's turned inward rather than outward um, towards their neighbors? And so, um, but, but there is a way in which, yeah, like in the hands of, of whether it be an already oppressed community that's seeking to live that out or someone that is, has a social advantages but is willing to empty themselves, right? So that they can enter into that in solidarity with others. Um, you see a possibility there. But then with someone that has power that wields it over someone that is oppressed, they can manipulate it to mean something else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I even wonder yeah. in terms of um, the, the translation. Uh, so uh, right now I happen to have in front of me the, the NIV, which some mm -hmm. joke is the nearly inspired um, <laughs> version, but uh, the the translation of verse six, um, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grass, almost confirms that reading, right? Because, um, and m my Greek is bad. In fact, um, full confessions, I, I failed Greek. Like, um, <laughs> but uh, in, in my notes here, who is uh, rubbed out and because is written above it. And it, it's to remind me that, um, it is because Jesus is in the nature of God, as in because Jesus, Jesus'sness is Godness, that it, it isn't, um, let's see how I can articulate this. It, it's not despite Jesus being God that he empties himself. It is because, hey, my boys, excuse me one sec. I know we're live recording. Good. But my boys have just got home after being away. Excuse oh, me one sec. Absolutely. 
think I know where he was going, though. I think what Jared was saying was because he was God, he self-emptied himself. That's the very nature of God, right? God self-empties. That's actually literally the character of God um, and consistent with what who God would be. Excuse me. I'll, I'm sorry. Oh, please, um, if you need to. <laughs> uh, let me have a go at articulating this again. Yeah. Uh, it is because Jesus is in very nature God that Jesus empties himself, not despite it. And I I wonder how much our um, translation of that uh, actually lends itself to uh, actually undermining that what the point that text making is, this is what God is like. This is what Mm -hmm. God does. Like um, this is who God is this, well, as the title of your book so beautifully puts it. Mm-hmm. It just blows my mind that the God of the universe too, at the end of, uh, is it um, John 21, after the resu- uh, after a resurrection and Peter's calling, he's like, yeah, I'm going to make you dinner on the beach. Like the God of the universe, is ma- I mean, yeah. breakfast. I'm making you breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Let's have some fish. Like, right. Yeah, God's always thinking of us and others. And even, I was ca- I'm so captivated, even on the cross, uh, and I talk about it in my book, even on the cross, Jesus did not die until he made sure that his mom was in good hands. You know, yeah. he's like, I can't, you know, when John talked to him, he's like, you know, behold your mother and behold your son. He, I'm like, he couldn't even in his excruciating pain. And, you know, I, I don't know all the theology, mental pain, yeah. eschatological pain. He's yeah. like, I need to make sure my mom's taken care of. And also the thief on the cross, the good thief. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm like, in his most suffering moment, in his humanity and deity or however it works out, God's still thinking about other people. Yes. <laughs> wow. Death. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Which mm-hmm. is a very different approach to the talk of rights. Because if, if we see our rights being laid down so others' rights are affirmed, that is something because Jesus in the very nature of God versus um, if we lay down our rights because we're not important, others aren't important, um, uh, that, that some other, that in itself will actually uh, affirm what God is seeking to actually dismantle and, and mm-hmm. transform. But it's so subtle, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm more of a practical theologian, but maybe you, my brothers and other people can work these, you know, nuances out. I'm not, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar, just like, how does this work out? And it's hard, right? But I think it takes Mm. communal discernment to know, like, okay, how do we do with the racist policies, everything that's happening in the United States and the world? How do we, communally, we can figure out what this looks like. And we need to listen to the people that are oppressed. Right. And not make our own policies like they tried to do after World War One, and just draw boundaries wherever, you know. Okay, yeah. we're going to fix it for you. And now we still, maybe that war never ended, some people say, historians. And so um, Jesus is our example in this. And yeah. I always say we need discernment for how it works out. I, I mean, I, I look to the church tradition and history mm-hmm. and read other people, like you said, because I can't, I don't have the mental capacity or wisdom or experience of the world to know uh, that's why it's the cloud of witnesses in the community of saints oh, yeah. living and dead, dead and living. Oh, you know, they're all living. 
mm. um, that helps us work this out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's, I mean, I think the fact that you picked this passage, I mean, it, so I remember, I mean, this was years of just thinking about white supremacy and patriarchy and all these things. Like, it's, it's, it's so ironic how the church went down the road that it did and with all the hierarchies and domin social domination. I mean, it just seems to be um, so counter to the way of Jesus and what we see before us in, in, a, in a variety of different ways. So, I mean, this message shows up throughout the Bible in different ways, right? Um, and through the life and teachings of Jesus. And so uh, what would happen if we did really take that seriously? Um, mm. How would that shape right the, the selfishness the hierarchical ways that we kind of dominate and lord over others i mean i think that that is um it's plaguing especially in the u.s i mean it's just out of control right now um and sometimes even the answers to the problems are still new hierarchies and power dynamics over others and so we're, we're not breaking the cycle out of that yeah yeah and for, for those who missed the sarcasm earlier, like <laughs> this is definitely an issue in Australia as well. Right. Um, and, and I wonder in terms of uh, even your um, uh, PhD uh, work, I mean, one of the gifts Americans have is that they're like the rest of us only just so much more so. <laughs> like, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> like, it just seems, it seems so much heightened in America or something. It's like everything is on red bull and the, right. the saturation <laughs> is just like turned up 200 percent or uh, like uh, i'm looking for imagery to just kind of um it, it's like everywhere else just more blatant or something like um which and and maybe that's why um like things that stand in the middle of this like exquisite text which you've chosen and really like i mean philippians the whole book um uh, if we get that this has been written from prison of, of someone who ha has literally given up, uh, quote unquote, his rights to actually affirm the, the dignity and, and the rights of all, um, this talk of obedience to death, even death on a cross, and to take seriously that to talk of the cross is like dropping an F-bomb in that time, in that culture, mm -hmm. that um, it, it's so offensive to say that. And I, I think about uh, you both uh, in terms of um, uh, your calling in the academy and it, even the way you're talking about the, the, the temptations to despise um, becoming despicable because of our solidarity with those who have their backs against the wall, who are hurting, who are vulnerable, um, who, who don't have access. Um, uh, who, who do only have third grade educations and yet have this organic intellectual genius um, that can uh, start up uh, entrepreneurial businesses just to survive and create a, a network and a little ecosystem of survival for others as well. Um, the, the interplay between that offensive, literally offensive talk of the cross and it being the song that these communities are singing and then talk of like every knee shall bow. Um, I, I mean, this is, this is evocative, powerful, subversive stuff. There, there is something so much more going on here than, than we often give it credit for. 
Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know exactly, and I can't, you know, talk all on it. Just like I said from my experience, but yeah, and and that's why I grieve at the American Church because we mm. see how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, um, but we just want money and power, and um, and and at the and in the church, like. Yeah. I, I mean, and so, I mean, I don't expect people that don't profess Jesus's name to act like Jesus, but sometimes they act more like him than people in the church. So I'm like, yeah, I, I don't understand. But I see this is the posture that Jesus said, you know, you have to be the servant of all. And he told Peter, he's like, you'll understand this later. You know, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you'll understand this. And, you know, Paul picks up on it here. Um, I'm sure they had conversations, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. theological <laughs> conversations about things. Um, and so that's my cry for the church, the Amer global church. But I think that's why, I mean, we're not persecuted in America. Mm. People don't like us because we're not acting like Jesus. They, that's they, right. Come they, on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They have a sense of what Jesus is like, the little they know of him. And yep. they can sometimes see more clearly how Jesus acts the, the church. I don't, I don't know why that is. I mean, I'm thinking about that, but, and that's just, my cry that I would be this way and that we collectively would be this way. And the only way I know how to do it is, you know, to hopefully embody what I'm learning. And oh, I don't man. do that perfectly. Would you say that, that I'm just curious thinking now about your book, like it, was that the impetus for wanting to write the book or just like everything that's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before the 2016 election, um, mm. I was like, you know, all these people that told me character mattered. I used to listen to them on the radio. I didn't mention that part. So I didn't watch TV, but I would listen to the Christian radio and preachers, you know, all sorts of preachers. Um, so that formed me in a way, but I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound like Jesus, you know, but I'm like, this is what the authorities are saying. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I was like, so I wanted to examine what it, maybe it would look like to take this posture now from my perspective, of course, and my voice. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying anything new. Um, but I think I'm saying it in my voice and drawing on different aspects of the church to corroborate what I'm saying, because I think it's true. And so that I think that if we took this posture, then people, we would be like the end of the verse says, we would be shining stars in the universe. People yeah. would get like when they would see Christians, they would be, oh, my word, I'm so thankful that you're here because yes. I see salvation coming my way. Yes. But now they're like, get out of here. I can't stand you. You're yeah. part of the problem. You're bringing damnation and hell to me and my family, to people at the border, yes. to, you know, black and brown people. You're the one that's causing collectively too, because there's good right. people. I'm not saying, but collectively we are part of the problem and we need to repent. Yeah. Amen. Malena, I'm so aware that so much of your work uh, in terms of your last book is about formation um, with what you're naming how how would you describe the uh, disfiguring or is disformation a word uh, uh, that is happening that means that instead of um, people working out with fear and trembling what liberation, deliverance, salvation looks like, that um, they're making others like fearful and tremble um, because damnation is actually the witness in, instead of salvation. How, what, what is your reading at this stage of how that is such a reality? I, I just think the church, um, you know, I, I think the church is influenced, malformed by the culture. 
you know, this is, huh. you know, let's be witnesses to the culture. I, I, I'm sorry. Let me, let me back up. <laughs> Actually, the, ch- the church, the culture can be a better influence on the church in some ways. What I mean is yeah. that, um, the culture's ways of the temptations in Matthew four, Jesus's temptations in the mm-hmm. desert, money, mm-hmm. power, and influence, uh, maybe uh, <laughs> money, power, influence. Am I leaving something out? You know, selfishness, greed. And we've just Christianized that. And that's why people are being oppressed because we care about money, power, and influence. We just, you know, dress it up in Christian language. And, and, and so we're not, uh, we're not setting the captives free, you know, yeah. like Jesus talks about the spirit of the Lord is upon me to set. The, no, no, no. We are setting, making free people captive <laughs> wow. and we right. are, you know, right. um, and, and, you know, I just can't, you know, I think about Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. And it says, if you say, I didn't know this, you, like you see, people are being led to slaughter and you say, I knew nothing. You're going to be judged for it. That's Proverbs yes. 24, 11 and 12. And I think as a nation, we are going to be judged and as a church. And I think we're seeing some of that. People talk about apocalypse and revealing. I think the soul of the church is being revealed. I mean, it has in other times too, by how we treated people, but I'm thinking for our generation, we're seeing everything laid bare and it does not look good. Yeah. We need repentance. And again, this is collectively not pockets yeah. of beautiful people. That's, I mean, I met, sure. that's why I'm a Christian because I met the most beautiful people. I can't explain it other than God. So, but the collective witness makes me sad. There is a particular danger when people get saved enough to be personally transformed and free people who then lead oppressive structures and systems like that. That's a making them just free enough to be really good at oppression. Mm. I've got no addictions. Uh, I'm uh, like, I'm, I'm free. I'm happy. I'm well and completely adjusted to injustice like that Mm-mm. that's the danger of a uh, of a christian like even as you're saying that milena I, I was thinking about um there are there are churches in my city which are literally named for those temptation influences church mm. prosperity church god's power church it. like um uh, putting God in front of the kind of power that is perverse that Satan offers doesn't make it holy. It just makes it blasphemy. <laughs> it's, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, this is so profound. The, the, uh, your call, the work that you're doing, um, this text that you've chosen, uh, I, I adore. Um, uh, I'm aware that... In fact, I think it was 2005, there was a US military investigation um, into a US tank rolling through Fallujah that had spray painted on the side of it, uh, Jesus killed Muhammad. Mm. And uh, I'm aware that texts like every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. There are ways of quoting that, that um, miss the punchline of the cross being in the middle of this passage like that actually um, uh, assert, no, no, we, we have some spiritual Caesar who's going to get you just like the other Caesar would if, if you didn't confess him as Lord and, and bow a knee. Um, in a reality where, and I mean, that's more of a, one of those more so kind of examples, right? Uh, but the subtlety in Australia might be um, 
forms of chaplain Christianity, which want to be uh, liberal and even-minded and calm in inviting uh, the oppressed and the oppressor together um, to sing, you know, why can't we be friends or, or something. Um, uh, with those kind of realities, what, what is it to read this passage and um, be able to name those things, uh, be, be able to um, call them out clearly, and I guess get, get the punchline, um, get, get the joke of, of what it is to talk about a crucified Messiah. Well, thank you for naming these things. I mean, most American Christians don't think in these ways. I mean, I, Drew, I think you're a Mennonite, right? Uh, I think Mennonites might. Oh, Anabaptists, I'm sorry. Um, but like, you know, like we don't see any problem with militarism, you know? Right. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, Drew can speak more about this is not my area of expertise, but you know, the in the early church, some people weren't even sure if you should enter the military, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, right. and I think, yeah. yeah, and some of the, I think the Eastern Orthodox too, I've heard them say that if you murdered somebody in the military, like you, you talk to a priest or get s special prayers, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but um, the, what you just said sounds like so foreign to Christianity and how we speak about Christianity and you know all, all of the men in my family have been in the military so I'm not putting down the military you know I do know uh, a whole nother subject but why do the poor get sent to the front lines and you know why are they in poor yeah. areas that's like a whole nother whole nother yeah. thing um well, but, why is that uh, one of the only ways into university higher education uh you know in the states in terms of getting access to medical care that it, like the military is a really good option for a lot of people who that's have right. no options that's right be, yeah um so that even that kind of language sounds like foreign language it even seems foreign to christianity in the united states like what are you right. talking about man but I, I i think that you know and john says you know uh is it john chapter three but when the john's booming you know repent for the kingdom of god is near and he said you know and they're like well what should i do if you're in the military you know don't use too much force you know they had all these mm. things depending on the station of life that you if you're a tax collector don't collect any more than than you should mm. um and so that kind of militarism i mean that's like another god right it's the mm. god of power and might uh and so I guess what I'm saying is we have many idols you were saying to being well adjusted. You're mm -hmm. well, we're well adjusted because we are, uh, we're not uh, awakened to reality. <laughs> mm. We're well adjusted monsters in some ways, you know? Wow. Uh, and so, I mean, all of us, there's things that I'm well adjusted to. And yeah. so it might be different, but I think that's where we depend on the, the press brothers and sisters to say, Hey, wait a minute. Like they don't like that kind of talk here in the United States. They mm. call it like liberate, or maybe I'm sure you guys have talked about this in your program. You know what Drew talks about. They don't like liberation from geology. They don't like Spanish people saying, you know, God goes to the poor or is among the poor. They, they just don't like that. They think it's liberal and bad theology. And that's another thing. Why is it that always black and brown theology is liberal and wrong? <laughs> right. 
we were just joking. Um, me and Jared were joking because I don't know if you've heard. I, I've seen on Twitter like people like critique like if you talk about race, like oh that's critical race theory, right? Um, so like we've been joking like all right, so are you wanting to push uncritical race theory? Race theory, like, you know, that's right. Or Marxism? This cultural Marxism, right? So we'll start like throwing flipping these terms around on them, but um. But yeah, I, I think these are all tactics and ways to stigmatize yeah. black and brown people's thoughts, literally, right? As, as they expose the idolatries of this country, as you know, I mean, just American exceptionalism and how that manifests in so many different ways, militarism, wealth gaps, and just exclusion and lack of access for poor and vulnerable people all, all throughout our country in a whole variety of ways, right? Um, that that's just so deep and in the core. And it, and because American exceptionalism, I mean, in some ways, that is the dominant religion of our country, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what's happened is that Jesus has just been made a mascot, a fi- not the real Jesus, but a white oh, Jesus, my word. right? There a it mascot is. Of, mm-hmm. of religious nationalism. And so that, that, that explains, I think, so much of what we see in our country. And then the ugliness of that is that while we think we're just so wonderful and because we're just we we've bought into the idolatry we don't realize that what we're actually exceptional in is like it's like death dealing right mass incarceration people don't have access to health care uh, wealth gap right uh, i mean just like the kind of things that actually are exceptional or horrifying things that are death dealing and are embarrassing and that if anybody could like if we could see ourselves as a nation we would be humiliated at, at our exceptional what is really exceptional about us? Um, mm. I think that yeah, that- And you're talk, trying to talk to me about the culture of life? What are you talking about? <laughs> That's yep. right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm a visual thinker. And so your talk of mascots, Drew, I could, I could see like a, a white Jesus with a big head with pom-poms, like doing backflips and then the splits as, as somebody, <laughs> like as the crowd yells, still kill, destroy, still kill, destroy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe that's the um, uh, why we need creative, uh, subversive, larrikin, uh, tr- troublemaking ways of responding when people go, when they hear good news and they go, oh, is that critical race theory um, that we need to respond? Are you talking from a perspective of uncritical race theory where white is right and default in society? Um, and they say, oh, that's cultural ma- Marxism. And you're like... Uh, is that bother you because you're coming from a cultural fascist perspective um, where like we, we need ways to actually name that right. when we talk about the example and teaching of our Lord and people respond with these kind of terms um, to have a little bit of fun with it, uh, but also to expose it, to unmask it. And, and Marlena, that's why we're so thankful for your work and witness. Thank you for um, your commitment uh, to continue to move down, to lift others up. <laughs> And, and to bring others up uh, w- with you. Um, it's, you know, we call inverse, uh, the podcast inverse because it's it's our heart that um, the, the first would be last and the last would be first. And so your witness uh, to that, even on Twitter, as, as Drew was saying, um, but in every aspect of your life, it's beautiful. We're thankful for you. Um, so please keep doing what you do. We're, we're cheering you on, not with white Jesus mascot, but our Lord and savior. <laughs> Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Just, um, I, 
appreciate how thoughtful you always are, um, mm. kind, your faithful witness, and we can hear your love for the church, even as you're talking about this text and, and your book. And we definitely want to encourage everybody to go get your book yeah. um, just released. And so you want to, um, it's going to be a gift for everybody. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much. And man, I learned so much in this podcast, just listening to you both speak and your thoughts. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks for what you provoked. If people are wanting to uh, journey with you more, um, find you, uh, find the book, where are the best places for, for people to go look now? Yeah, you could go to my website, marlenagraves.com and you could click on books and you'll find where, where to pick it up. And if, if you are open, I encourage you to order from Hearts and Minds Books, Byron Borger, independent bookseller, I think near you, Drew. Pennsylvania, um, yep. Yep, very supportive. We want to support in, independent books if we can't, but I'm not yeah. going to instruct the listener where to buy my book. You know, <laughs> there's freedom in that. Um, <laughs> and um, at Marlena Graves on Twitter. Thank you. Marlena, would, would you pray for us and the listener as we close now? Thank you. Uh, yes, Lord, thank you so much that we can come together as your body and um, three different people, Australia and the United States, different experiences, but we do love you so much. Yes. We want to be like you. And we just ask yes. that the church would be like you, Lord. We, we confess mm. the sins of our nations. Uh, Lord, we have not loved our neighbor with our whole heart and yeah. or them as ourselves that we've oppressed people. Mm. And Lord, I pray that, um, what looks impossible to us for uh, dec or centuries of oppression uh, does not have to be you. There can be a turning. So I, we repent, God, and we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down. Why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.